this afternoon uh, we will be continuing in our uh, walk through the book of Hebrews, uh, looking at the next section of chapter 13 in this part, which we are calling Growing in the Greater Than, the Greater Than, of course, being our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us give attention to God's Word, His Holy Word, as we hear from chapter 13 today. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he, is, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, for we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and Im- imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by the grace, by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, by whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let us pray. Our Father, we have heard this, your holy word. We ask today that you would help us to receive your word as that, your word. Help us, O oh Father, that we might walk in the truth that we hear that, that we have just heard, and that truth which would be declared today. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us above all those things to believe it, to receive your word by faith. We ask that from your word you would reveal to us afresh in our hearts our Lord Jesus Christ, so that our minds and our hearts might be strengthened, that our faith might be increased and strengthened. We ask that you guide this preacher, help him that he might be faithful to your words such that what she declares would be your word, and to do so clarity with clarity and accuracy and understanding, chaining him to the text of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here as we begin rounding out the uh, book of Hebrews in terms of our study of the book of Hebrews, meaning that we are in the last sections of it, 
which I'm suspecting sometime early next year, uh, we will be finishing up with the book of Hebrews, uh, walking through it. Uh, We've been looking at the idea that is uh, pervasive throughout the book, that of Jesus who is the greater than. If there's any book that points us to Christ as the all-sufficient Savior, as the all-sufficient Lord, as the one who is for us any, everything that we need for life, for godliness, for our hope. The book of Hebrews is one of those many books. All of the books of the Bible do that. Some of them more explicitly than others, but all of the books of the Bible do that for us. We have all sorts of things that come before us that, by which we can look at and see, this is what I truly need. For the original readers, it was returning to Judaism. For us, though, what we see is the need for Christ and to hold on to him. We've been looking at this idea, starting in chapter 12, verse 1, of having from verses 10, uh, chapters 10 and 11 of having to hold on to the greater than, we're now looking at growing in the greater than. That this one who is the greater than, holding on to him, we then grow in him. And that this is what growth looks like and this is what we are to pursue by faith in Christ Jesus, knowing that God is at work in us according to his will, to, work, to, to will and to work according to his purposes Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Today we're going to be focusing on verses 7 through 9. Looking at this passage where it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. In chapter 13, we've seen some very specific exhortations for us, ranging from letting brotherly love continue to showing hospitality to strangers to, to remembering and being in solidarity with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus to Honoring marriage and keeping the marriage bed undefiled and keeping our life free from the love of money, being content with what we have, knowing that this truth is to be kept before us, that God will never leave us or forsake us, that he is our helper. We will not fear what can man do to us. Thus, we have every reason to be content with that which God has given us. Now we move into this next exhortation in which we have two essential different commands, verse 7 and verse 9, but built into that is a command in verse 8 as well. And these three commands have to do with remembering. First of all, remember your leaders. The second, the second exhortation is to remember Jesus Christ. And the third exhortation is to remember the good teaching of the gospel. In verses 7 and verses 8 and verses Nine, And you say the word remember is not in there. Well, it's the idea that is there in verses 8 and 9. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But this first exhortation he gives is to remember your leaders. Specifically, what he means is those who spoke to you the word of God. So when he's speaking of leaders, he's not speaking here primarily, actually at all, in terms of uh, civil authorities whom God has placed uh, in and around the world. He was not telling them here to remember their leaders in terms of uh, the Roman governors and the emperor of Rome. And while we must remember them in our prayers and while we must submit to them uh, in as much as what they command does not violate what God has clearly revealed in the scriptures. Here he is speaking specifically about their ecclesiastical or church leaders, their elders they're pastors because it says those who spoke to you the word of God. Those who spoke to you the word of the gospel. 
And so we've defined these leaders in terms of those who have spoken the word of God, those who have taught, those who have led the church or the churches to whom these Hebrew believers are part of. And so who are these leaders? You say, well, we just said, well, they're the church leaders. But in terms of, because the leaders are mentioned twice here. In verse 7, remember your leaders. And in verse 17, it says, obey your leaders. The question is, and this comes from uh, various different things that I've read uh, regarding this passage, is that is this speaking of those leaders who are with them presently to remember them? Or, as much of the early church commentary, that is, from the late 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries, based on the way the Greek verbs are said and everything like this, is this referring to those who in the past spoke to them the word of God and are no longer with them because, like others, they had shed blood. Their blood had been shed because of martyrdom. The way this is speaking is it's speaking in terms of a sense of finality with regards to these leaders. Remember your leaders, those who have those who spoke to you the word of God. Not those who are speaking to you the word of God, but those who spoke to you the word of God. It seems to indicate this. Those who taught you look back and remember them, imitating their faith based on their outcome of life. And so it would seem that this is looking at those primarily, we would most likely include those who are with them, but primarily here in terms of remembering, remembering those upon whom you look at and say, this was their life. This was their life. speaks of them as those who were there who were there before but not so anymore those leaders who were with them but are gone maybe having died as martyrs an early church father theodore of mospusa he says the leaders are those who have proclaimed the word of godliness among them now have been killed gordon lenski uh, uh, contemporary uh, well he's no longer alive but contemporary in the sense of the 20th century a uh, Lutheran commentator argues that it's referring to apostles based on his idea of the dating of the book, most likely late, latter part of the 60s in the first century, most likely Jewish believers in Rome who had seen the apostles Paul and the apostles Peter, who by the time of the late 60s had been martyred and had been killed for their faith. But the way this is worded in the Greek places these leaders in the past. We'll deal with current leaders in verse 17. Verse 17 uh, has a word that we tend to not like. The very beginning, it says, obey your leaders. It's a word that we tend to struggle with. And we'll talk about that when we get there. So what, if referring to these leaders, what is it to remember? Is this speaking about to remember their leaders in terms of giving honor to them? There's a sense in which we should remember those who have gone before and recognize the work that God has done through them. I remember my first trip to India in the year 2000 uh, to northern Manipur uh, to minister to some Naga believers in the state of Manipur um, at, in, the ta- in the village of Ukrul. A man by the name of William Pettigrew brought the gospel to them. William Pettigrew was a student of William Carey, and he brought the gospel to uh, the folks in Naga, what was then all Nagaland and brought the gospel to them when they were a headhunting tribe back in the 1880s and 1890s. And the entire tribe largely came to faith in Christ Jesus. And outside the church, not in the building, but outside the church building, you have a little statue with his bust, recognizing, thanking God. Thank, it's, it's, it gives thanks to God for sending this man to them to deliver them. And so there they were remembering him. However, as we're going to see, that's not so much what's being talked about here. 
nor is it paying homage to them. The text itself tells us what's going on. It says, remember those who, oh, sorry, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, considering the outcome of their way of life and imitating their faith. So to remember them in this context is, number one, has to do with considering the outcome of their life. And number two, imitating their faith. So what is the outcome of their life? If, we're, if this is referring to those, those leaders who had gone before, but now who have uh, died for the sake of the gospel, that is the outcome of their life. Conventional human wisdom would tell us, well, that's not a very good outcome, is it? But godly wisdom, informed by the scriptures, would say that is, a, that is an outcome that testifies to something. It testifies to faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It testifies to that which is absolutely most important. Or simply those who endured and to the and remained faithful to the truth of the gospel, declaring it, declaring God's word, not departing from the truth that had been delivered. Which we'll see talk about that in verse nine in just a moment. But they held on to Christ. The idea of considering is carefully looking at the outcome of their life. The point here is about imitating their faith. That is, these men held on to Christ even when everything else seemed to be yelling at them to do otherwise. We hear that all the time. Whether it is voices around us or whether it is our own our own deceptive heart telling us to quit. We hear that all the time. But they continued holding on to Christ, turning to Him, even turning to Him to acknowledge that they're struggling to turn to Him. Even turning to Him, acknowledging their own failures, their own sinfulness. They rest to rest in him and to turn to him when we find ourselves getting reckless with the chaos around us so as to not focus upon that. And in so doing, they gave an example of loving the brotherhood, welcoming strangers, pursuing peace with all men and pursuing the holiness, that holiness which is ours without which no one will see the Lord. And so they're exhorted here to remember those leaders, considering the outcome of their way of life. What about for us in our own state? We did not have apostles who came and declared to us the word of God. That is, we do not have physical apostles come to us and declare to us the word of God. How is this in terms of us? Well, let's also consider those who have come before us here in our own church, leaders who have been before. Consider Keith and Keith in his ministry here. While both, while both of our previous pastors are still alive, we can look at the outcome of their lives and imitate. One, past, one previous pastor, is, while he's no longer serving here as pastor, he's in France, and he is laboring for the gospel in, a, in, an, in an environment in which tends there is hostility towards the gospel. But he did not depart from the teaching during his time, during his time here, and he's continuing. Or we consider our founding pastor, Scobie, and how he is faithful to continue teaching and preaching, and he has not departed from that truth, even, <clears throat> even in the midst of significant illness. And so we ought to consider those who have come before and consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. But also remembering the apostolic witness. We have the word 
of the apostles right here, and we have their manner of life, their way of life laid out for us in the scriptures. We can imitate that. Also, this also brings us to remember the importance of remembering those whom God has placed in our lives. We'll talk about that more in verse 17 when we get there. But those whom God has placed in our lives to lead us in the word of God, specifically meaning this, God has given leaders to his church for the purpose of being under shepherds of the gospel of our Lord of Christ, ministering the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes want to have this idea of an individualized or atomized Christianity where we're all in our own little bubbles. We all kind of come up with our own truth and our own way of doing things. That has more to do with Enlightenment modernism and more to do with 19th century romanticism than it has anything to do with biblical Christianity. Rather, God has united us together. And we see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, those who labored to get labored before. When he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. God has given leaders to the church who watch over the souls of those whom God has placed in their care. And those who have gone before have labored to that end and for those purposes. We must remember the outcome of their way of life. God has also given, for instance, in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, and we see that God has given gifts uh, to his church. Which he says in verse 11, and he has given the apostles, the prophets, which were foundational, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, which the way the Greek is is formatted and, and set up, it's referring to the shepherds and teachers being the same people, that is pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. Who is it that is charged with that but those whom God has given to the church for that? The apostles and prophets whom we have, whose witness and testimony we have right here. And the evangelists and pastors are charged with that. And so remembering those leaders who have gone before and considering their way of life, the ways that they sought to be consistent with with the teaching of the gospel and the ways in which they acknowledged their own need. The ways that they were also demonstrating their need of Christ. We must remember we don't invent our own Christianity, but we will learn from those whom God has placed in our lives who have learned from, who have learned from the apostles, who have learned from others whom God has placed in their lives. But also take note here of the personal aspect of this language. Remember those leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Note the personal aspect. Those who were part of their life. Who were there with them who are there sharing in life together with them. In our age in which the world has gotten really, really, really small, this is a hard idea to grasp. 
in which we have at our fingertips the ability to turn on teaching from just about anyone. Well, I, I myself will listen to sermons from other pastors and Christian scholars and listen to podcasts. I also remember that these pastors to whom are listening are not vested in me. They're vested in their own congregations and ministering to the needs of those congregations. And thus the applications they make are targeted towards those congregations. Which is why, when you might have two pastors who have the same theological convictions, will take a sermon and apply it diff- a text and apply it differently to a different congregation because those congregations are in different places. They come, from the, they, they come to the same truth but apply it in a different way. And leaders are vested in that. We must remember that faithfulness, considering that, and see their way of life and imitate their faith. What is their faith? But they're resting upon Christ to imitate the fact that they rested upon Christ. So when we look at the world in which we live and we have all of these things at our fingertips, we must remember there's a lot of voices out there that are not on our side. We'll talk about that more. But I've said this before. I don't know if I've said this from the pulpit. But I, I grew up as a kid without the Internet and then got to high school and college and the Internet became part of life. The Internet has been both a blessing, a great blessing in many ways, and it's also been a great curse in many ways. It's been a blessing for it's, t- it's allowed people who previously couldn't get their voice out there to be able to get their voice out there. It's also been an immense curse because it's enabled people who previously couldn't get their voice out there to get their voice out there. We must remember those leaders whom God and consider the outcome of their way of life, those whom God has placed in our life. I have men to whom I look who have served in positions of spiritual uh, watch care over me, to whom I look and remember and say, and to whom I find great um, encouragement from to endure in faith. In fact, sometimes when I consider theological positions, and there was one position to which I was moving away from, but I struggled to moving away from it because someone who meant a whole lot to me, who was a leader in my life, held to the position to which I was moving away from. And I was really struggling with that, feeling I was betraying that person. So I actually talked to that person. And he said, no, you're not betraying me. You're fine. He said, I'm just going to disagree with you, but I don't feel betrayed. We must remember that there are others who have gone before us, even before, before Keith, before Scobie, before other, those leaders I spoke of in my own life, before those in the 20th century, before those in the 19th century. There's a whole record of people throughout history who have served leading God's church to whom, from whom we can learn. One reason to read good Christian biography. But this is a reminder, and we'll hit on this again in just a moment. But we must remember that we as individuals are not the best Bible readers ever. Either as individuals or as generations. Each generation has this idea. We are the best that has ever been. Every generation has that idea. All those that came before, they didn't didn't know a thing. And you hit about 35, 40 years old and you kind of realize that you're full of it. But we must remember, we don't do our theology, we don't do our piety, or we do our practice. Or rather, we should not, as though we are the best Bible readers ever. We read the Bible in the great tradition of those who have gone before, standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Because this is not about private devotion, but it's about solidarity with those who hold to the truth, past, present, and future. 
And that's one reason to remember those leaders and their outcome of life, remembering how the truths that they preached were demonstrated in their lives, both in the ways that they endured and in the ways they turned to Christ in acknowledging their own weakness. Remember the Apostle Paul who said, I am the chief of sinners. For those leaders who have gone before, we're not always, it's all happy clappy. But rather, demonstrated their own need as well. The next thing we have, though, built upon that, remembering the leaders, has to do with the nature of the Christ of whom has been, uh, who, has been, who has been preached. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So here we have to remember Christ. That is, those leaders who have gone before, to whom, uh, from whom the word of God came to us, the Christ that was preached then is still the same Christ. That Christ who is faithfully preached by today's, by today's leaders, by yesterday's leaders, by ancient history's leaders, is still the same Christ. This is speaking of Christ according to time, yesterday, today, and forever. It's not speaking primarily of it's not speaking primarily of Christ according to his divine nature for it's spoken in terms of time. This is speaking of Christ incarnate as one of us as revealed throughout the scriptures. John Gill says though it does not extend to eternity which is true of Christ yet may be carried further than to the days of his flesh here on earth even to the whole Old Testament era. That is, the one who lived and died for us, the one who was proclaimed in the days of the apostles, the one who was proclaimed during the Reformation, the one who was proclaimed by those faithful witnesses during the medieval era, the one who was proclaimed over the years is still that same Christ. Thus we remember those leaders who have gone before, remembering the Christ who was preached. His redemption has not changed, nor has what he has promised. That has not changed. Thus, Christ, the doctrine of Christ, does not change, or I should say should not change, with changes in teachers and leaders. If, as a church, after every change in leadership, there seems to be a reinvention of our church, there's a problem. There is a problem. To remembering Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is to recognize this. The same knowledge of Christ that brought salvation endurance to others before us is the same knowledge of Christ by which we are saved. Meaning, we must resist the spirit of the ages. This is nothing new. That is always looking to innovate on truth. When it comes to the truth of Christ, when it comes to what has been revealed in the scriptures, the word innovation should not be part of our vocabulary. In terms of how we might engage in something, sure. But in terms of what God has revealed, in terms of the worship of God's people, in terms of what constitutes the worship of God's people, innovation should not be part of our vocabulary. Because God's eternal word has not changed. And that Christ who is proclaimed has not changed. That Christ of the Nicene divines who wrote the Nicene Creed is our Christ. The Christ of the reformers is our Christ. The Christ of the apostles is our Christ. 
And any deviation from that is something, but it is not Christian. To quote Jeff Bingham, one of my favorite seminary professors, and say that is something, but it is not Christian. Any deviation from that Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is not Christian. So Christianity, the Christian life, is all about the Jesus who is the Christ. So in remembering the teach those leaders who gave us the word of God, from those who have first been with us, and then looking throughout the history of God's dealings with his people. We are acknowledging the Christ upon whom they leaned, upon whom they trust and trusted, and upon whom they, they proclaimed. John Calvin says of this, the only way by, by which we can persevere in the right faith is to hold to the foundation and not in the smallest degree to depart from it. For he who holds not to Christ knows nothing but mere vanity, though he may comprehend heaven and earth. For in Christ are included all the treasures of celestial wisdom. This, then, is a remarkable passage from which we learn there is no other way of being truly wise than fixing all of our thoughts on Christ alone, who is the same yesterday, who is the same today, and who is the same forever. Who has been proclaimed faithfully. Who was proclaimed faithfully by the apostles. And has been proclaimed faithfully by those who have held to apostolic teaching throughout the ages. And the third part is to remember the teaching. That is, that Remember the teaching so that we might not depart from it. It's stated negatively. It's stated in terms of a don't do. That is, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The neg- that is the negative of this. Remember the truth that has been declared to you. Consider it and hold to it. There are all sorts of teachings out there. Some are obviously and patently wrong. And those, of course, I have concern about. But the concerns about which I have greater, but those teachings about which I have greater concern are ones that are far more dangerous than those that are just obviously and patently wrong. Ones that I have greater concern about are very devious because they carry an air of truth. They are disguised in truth. They are disguised in language of truth. But underneath that sheep's wool is nothing but a wolf. These are teachings that take us away from Christ and our spiritual need to things that are less or even detrimental to our faith. There are faulty views on justification, that is our our standing before God. There's blending of the law and gospel, all which are done oftentimes with sincerity, by folks who are concerned about the piety of God's people. They want God's people to seek to be holy. But see this idea of justification by faith alone as we need to rethink, we need to tweak it a little bit so that way we give people a motivation to be holy. As if the only motivation to be holy is fear that you might lose it. Or taking law, what God has said, do this. And taking gospel, in which God has said, this is done. And blending them together. 
Law is good. Gospel is good. But they are not the same thing. We must be very wary of gospel. We also must be aware, be very wary of things that give us a sense of certainty. But a certainty that is not rooted in Christ Jesus. We love certainty. We love having something we can touch and hold and see and say, this is my hope. When I was a young Christian, not in terms of physical age, when I was also young that way, but in terms of my time of being a Christian and my maturity, I remembered uh, looking at a card that I had signed one day stating that I had accepted Jesus into my heart. And I said, see this card? This is my proof. That was proof of nothing other than that I had signed a card. My certainty is rooted in Christ Jesus. Or in other ways, we might understand the gospel to give us certainty in turbulent, difficult times. Such as we find in which we find ourselves. And again, Remembering, Christians always find ourselves in turbulent and difficult times. But we might, in order to give us a sense of certainty, to give us an agenda by which we can say, okay, if we can do A, B, C, and D, everything will be okay. And turning Christianity into nothing more than a vehicle of social and political transformation. And robbing the gospel of its power. And all other things in between. For those who love truth, the diverse and strange teachings don't come in the form of things that we look at and say, yeah, that is so obviously wrong. They come in the form of things that say, there's something right that sounds about that. This also includes remembering our leaders who have gone before us, remembering what has been taught and continuing in that, remembering the truth that has gone before us. This brings up the importance of what what, uh, I like to, what not just I but is called confessional theology, piety and practice. That is, and again, this comes with the idea of every generation thinks that's the best it's ever been. Every generation of Christianity seems to have this impulse of we need to throw out this wheel and invent another one. Because all those people who built the wheel before, they didn't know what they were doing. So we're going to build the wheel anew. In a confessional approach to theology, we never, ever start from scratch. Because there have been many who've gone before us, who've done a lot of work. This is not the same thing as saying that tradition is the definer of truth. This is acknowledging that we rest, and we rest, upon, we rest upon Christ and learn from the wisdom of, of those who have come before us. We are not to innovate or develop truth on our own. Over and over again, history has shown that that leads to theological and ecclesiological, that's a big word, it means church, disaster. We understand that while the Bible is the, we understand that the Bible is the final authority. And at the same time, we stand with those who have gone before us in reading it and learning from it, standing on shoulders. We learn from those whom God has given us as the under-shepherds and overseers of our souls who are held accountable for that. Verse 17. And again, while there is value in learning and hearing 
from other voices. I would never say only listen to me. We must be very cautious and remembering that there are all sorts of things out there that we, of which we must be wary. On our own website, we have a, a, a listing that is uh, always changing. Not always, but it's open for change. Of recommended links. Those are things, and there's been things that have been removed, and there's things that have been added. Because there's people who were really good who are not so good anymore, and people who we never heard of who are, yeah, they're good. I highly commend those to you. Why is this so true? Why is it that we must remember that teaching? Well, he gives us this reason. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened or stabilized. But not just strengthened or stabilized, but by grace. By the goodness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. That is our stability and that is our strength. We often find a comfort in things. And here he says, and not by food. This is most likely referring to the Judaistic practices of dietary laws. That was part of the old covenant. You know, that uh, you couldn't eat pork, couldn't eat shellfish. That means, you know, there wouldn't be all, all, the, all, the, all the crab and lobster that we have around here, and we wouldn't be able to eat any of that. But beyond that, thinking in terms of what that speaks to, that gave them certainty, the food. Okay, if I just don't eat these things, I'm all good, I'm okay. If I don't eat this, I'm okay if I follow A, B, C, and D. There have always been wildly popular uh, systems out there that have been given that if you do A, B, C, D, and E, if you just follow this plan, everything will be good. Your kids will turn out wonderful. Your church will be growing. And then when things don't turn that way next thing you know you're devastated we we all we desire certainty we desire something we can hold on to but if it's that thing is outside of christ and what he has revealed those sources of religious certainty are illegitimate maybe Success according to the culture, how how our culture defines success, or being viewed as success, or having influence. There's a reason the prosperity movement is is very popular in all of its devious forms. It provides a certainty. It provides something that if I do this, I'll get that. But that's not how things work. Or other forms would say, I've prayed, I've read the Bible, why am I still downcast? I've done these things. Clearly, something is wrong with me. Brothers and sisters, that, should, that, is, that could very well be simply that that is a season God has us in. Or we can look at, at, at what we call nomism, that we find our certainty in obedience to the law. Or neonomism, which is new law, that we find our certainty in coming up with new laws. That is, we look at things that people do in the culture, and we say, okay, the culture's got a lot of problems, and people in the culture like to dance. So dancing we must not ever dance. But where in God's word does it ever tell us that? Or people play cards. 
That's clearly a problem. If everyone just stopped playing cards, we'd all be good. Unless, of course, it's Uno. Then it's okay. (laughs) Or all sorts of other things that we add. Any demand that extends beyond Scripture. What we need to be strengthened is the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is all of our need. That is our certainty. That which we always have had in him and always will have. Christ. Martin Luther, he said, we obsess about so many things. In his day, people running to various different um, icons and running to relics. And if they could just... Uh, if they, of course, you know, pay the money to see the relic and then do a number of bows before the relic or kiss the ring of the bishop so many times, you could have certainty that God was with you. And he said, we obsess about all these things, but all the while right before us is Christ. Man is the truth from which we must not depart. There are things that we have that protect that truth. Things that the Bible gives us and reveals that protect that truth. It must revolve around that. John Calvin again says this. There is no other simple and pure truth than the knowledge of Christ. Anyone who does not take a straight course to Christ is a wanderer. So brothers and sisters... Remember, remember our leaders considering the outcome of their way of life, seeing how God has been faithful to them. Remembering Jesus Christ, who has been proclaimed through the ages, who has not changed and whose redemption has not changed. In so doing, remembering that teaching so as not to be led away into diverse and strange teachings, knowing that the only benefit that we have comes from Christ, and by Him, by His grace, we are strengthened. Let us pray. Father, thank You that in Christ we have the riches of that goodness, and we thank You for those who through the years have proclaimed that faithfully. Help us, O Lord, that we might faithfully do so. Faithfully with good and faithfully recognizing your goodness. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.